Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to From the Kitchen Table. I'm your host, Sean Duffy, along with my co-host for the podcast, but also my partner in life, Rachel Campos Duffy. Hi, Sean. It's so great to be back at our kitchen table. And today, you know, is an amazing day. We've had a pretty amazing weekend, Sean. Um, Our daughter got married on Friday of last week. Roe versus Wade was overturned and our nephew won the Stanley Cup in hockey. So I don't think it gets any better than that. And of course, Roe versus Wade is the decision that, I mean, it's just rocked the country. And when we talked about, obviously, we have to talk about that this week. The first person that came to my mind was Ryan Bomberger. And Ryan Bomberger is um, somebody I met through Fox and Friends, and he is a pro life activist. He has a foundation called the Radiance Foundation that he founded with his wife, Bethany. Ryan was conceived when his biological mother was raped, and she chose to have the baby. And I can't think of somebody better to talk about abortion, the impact, and the real-life consequences of so many of the decisions that people are making and what this decision means to him. So without further ado, let's welcome Ryan Bomberger. Hey, Ryan. Hey. Hey. It's great to be here with you guys. It's great to be here with you. So I guess we should first just get your reaction to Roe versus Wade. My gosh. The Dobbs decision on Friday caused me hours and hours of tears. I was crying with you know tears of joy for so many years not only that my wife my incredible wife bethany and i have worked just through the radiance foundation to to help end this injustice um but also for many who came before us who have for decades fought against the violent injustice of abortion so i was rejoicing i was all by myself though it was really hard because our staff was at a conference my wife was at a conference my kids were at camp so i was all by myself celebrating but you know social media connects you with people. And so I wasn't, you know, entirely by myself, but I was overjoyed. That was my reaction. You know, uh, as Rachel mentioned, uh, our daughter was getting married on Friday as well. And, you know, all the, all the kids are taking showers and getting dressed and doing hair. And, and our daughter ran into our bedroom and said, Oh my gosh, the the decision came out. They've overturned Roe versus Wade. And I'm like, this is, this is (laughs) a great omen. And, and by the way, she's day. a little pro-lifer too, Ryan. I mean, she was um, in the pro-life movement as a teenager. She had gone to pro-life camp um, as as a young girl and ended up becoming a counselor. So, you know, it wasn't just a theory to her. I mean, she was an activist like you. 
Ryan, can I ask you a question? That's awesome. I, I think this is fascinating in that if you look at what the pro-life movement is, it's about it's about preserving life, the sanctity of life, giving every life an opportunity for, for birth and to have their constitutional rights affixed to them, I would argue, at conception. But over the course of the last, what, 48 years, I didn't do the math quickly in my head, something like that, almost 50 years, the life movement has been very peaceful. Uh, you've, you've seen, you know, the protesters might have some picket signs, but they're also kneeling in prayer outside of abortion it's facilities. a couple crazy people there has, out but there. For the but... most part, it's been peaceful. Yeah, but, I agree. And if you look at the violence of abortion, but then also the violence of the abortion movement, we see churches being burned, um, pregnancy centers uh, being... Um, Maltoff cat cocktails uh, being thrown at them. Graffiti thrown <laughs> at them as well. And also even the threats to the justices that have come. Can you speak to the the, the, the peaceful nature of the life movement and the violent nature of the abortion movement? Absolutely. And, and the thing people have to keep in mind, because the pro-abortion activists keep bringing this up, you had some fringe, crazy people who thought yes. that the solution to the killing of innocent human life was to kill more human life, which is completely antithetical to the pro-life movement. And the, the movement has always denounced those people who, who've who attacked any kind of abortionists. But the, the reality is the pro-abortion side is the one that actually celebrates violence. And we're actually seeing that carried out against, you know, women and who mostly run these pregnancy centers, they've yeah. been vandalized, threatened, firebombed. And then, you know, the pro-abortion side is silent. <laughs> Biden administration is silent. But the pro-life movement is one that is peaceful, that denounces any kind of violence. And that's why I, I love working with my colleagues, you know, people from all kinds of backgrounds who love people enough to not only speak life, but actually be that representation of what that means. You know, I'm an adoptive father. I have four kiddos, two of whom were adopted. You know, there are many different ways that we can carry out what it means to be pro-life, but you see that exemplified throughout the entire pro-life movement. You won't hear that from mainstream media, except for Fox News. Thank you, Fox News. Yeah. But you won't hear that from the rest of mainstream media. They don't want to tell these narratives. All they do is spend time demonizing those of us who want to save and rescue human life and uphold the dignity of every human life, especially the mothers who are exploited by yeah, the abortion industry. You're, you're right. I mean, it's demonizing, but also canceling. I mean, part of the, the strategy of the abortion movement and their allies, their friends in the media has been to ignore some of the most, you know, the the biggest protests that we have ever, the Capitol has ever seen. Um, and, and by the way, uh, brutal weather, they'll show up and peacefully protest. Um, and and right. I think you bring up a great point about how in the pro-life movement, when we've had a couple crazies try to, you know, bomb an abortion clinic or threaten an abortionist, the entire movement has denounced it vociferously. And right. on this side, we have even the president of the United States, even our DOJ, everyone basically not just not denouncing it, but in many ways encouraging it and refusing to pass legislation to protect those justices who are who were being threatened prior to this decision coming down. Ryan, I want to get right into your story because your story is fascinating on so many levels, but it is used as your life story, how you came into existence is is the exception that is being used to justify all of these um, abortions, millions and millions. Um, it's, it's, it's almost difficult to wrap our minds around how many children have been killed in the womb since Roe versus Wade 
um, in America was first brought in, brought about. So tell me about your story. Um, start from the beginning, how you found out. Um, do you know your mom? Just give, give it to us. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so let's just go back to when I was 13. That was just a few years ago. I'm joking, a long time ago. <laughs> but I was 13. <laughs> and I don't know if you have strong-willed kids, but um, I was a strong-willed child. And I pushed my parents to the edge. I think my first mission in life was actually to teach my parents how to be stronger parents, but <laughs> it was in a really tough conversation that we were having in my, I finally learned the, the origins, my origin story. And it wasn't because my parents hadn't told me earlier. It was because I didn't understand what rape was. So you're, so you're if, talking to your adoptive parents, yes, uh, by the way, mom, for, for those who, who don't, they can't see you because we're on a podcast right now. Um, you are African American. You you were you were adopted into a multiracial family, two white parents, correct? Correct. And our family was a mixture of you know white, black, mixed like I am, white and black, Native American, Vietnamese, Amazing. able, disabled, just a beautiful mixture. Thirteen kids, ten of us were adopted. Sounds like a Benetton ad. What people thought we were a youth group. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I'm not kidding. They would they want to rent houses. Like you can't rent to the youth group. It's our family. I, I'm not kidding. My parents had to deal with all kinds of craziness, but you know, they would. We celebrated adoption in our family. We celebrated birth parents. And so when my mom finally got across to me my my story, it was so devastating. I mean, you know, teenage years are already crazy enough. You know, they're already tumultuous enough. So throw in there a rewrite of your whole origin story. And so when I when in that conversation that was kind of laid out, I was devastated. I mean, how, wait a minute. So now I understood first of all that my birth mom didn't just not want me, but she went through this this trauma, this violence. And though I was conceived in rape, I understood that I was adopted in love. And so that changed everything. In fact, just weeks later, I did a persuasion speech in eighth grade about abortion. I shared my story and I saw the way that my teacher reacted, my fellow students, my friends reacted. And I understood that I had a story to tell. What was so that, the reaction? What was their oh reaction? Oh my gosh, tears, tears. And in fact, Mostly tears. And then I remember that there was there were two students who didn't react at all. And still, even after I shared my story and had been friends with these these kids for several years, and I thought, wait a minute, they're still actually supporting abortion. And so I realized, too, that even when you have these deeply personal stories, that you could have hardened hearts. And you also have to do the work to kind of understand, okay, well, what is what is their background story? What is perhaps causing them to still embrace a pro-abortion perspective. And so I learned that really early on in eighth grade. And it wasn't until years and years later that, you know, I was able to tell my story in a large scale way. And my wife and I started the Raids Foundation after we got married. So, you know, this story really began though with a courageous birth mom who, who, who decided to give me life and gave me the incredible gift of adoption. And so that's why I'm I'm really passionate about this and fighting the injustice of abortion. You know, Ryan, I, to Rachel's question and, uh, and to your answer, it, it's interesting because the issue of rape or incest is always used to justify abortion. And what I find, I, I've watched a number of your videos and even when people are 
coming at you hard for your position on life with such grace and honesty, you're able to pivot and and, and stand up for all little babies in the womb. And, and as, as I've watched what you've done, I, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm touched by it because I I'm, I'm a believer as well that um, life begins at conception, but also the art of communication and persuasion, which you do really well. But when I look at the issue of rape, and you don't hear many stories like yours, someone who was conceived in rape, whose mother chose life and chose love and to give you up for adoption. And the fact that every life has value to say that what does your life not have value? What, because you were conceived in rape? We look at how many wonderful things you've done and to then go out and be an advocate for all children, no matter how conceived, I think is so powerful because your voice is one that most of society would say shouldn't exist, shouldn't be out there. It should it should have been terminated, but it wasn't. And and it's so powerful. And again, I I, I love that you are so outspoken and coming from such a powerful story. We have to remember, none of us control the circumstances of our conception. Right. That's right. I'm assuming you and Rachel didn't control the circumstances sure of your conception. And yet somehow some of us decide that we can be the arbiters of human value. We, we don't control the circumstances. We all have equal and irrevocable worth. And when we don't, when some people get to decide a group of human beings for whatever circumstances are less than human, it never turns out well. Yeah. Never. And so that's why I'm the marginalized among the most marginalized. Right. So I'm going to fight for the most marginalized. I grew up with siblings who have disabilities. I grew up with God brothers and God sisters who have Down syndrome. I mean, some of the most targeted by abortion. I mean, yep. how couldn't I, I mean, how couldn't I de- dedicate my life to rescuing those that the rest of society, many in society write off as, you know, unplanned, unwanted, don't fit the picture perfection. None of us are perfect anyway, but it's, it's why I've dedicated my life to this. Did you ever get to meet your birth mom? Great question. I searched for her years and years ago. And in fact, I wrote a song called Meant to Be, which is just a tribute to her courage. And so I had to petitioned the court to unseal my records. And so I had to write to court and I included it. This is years ago, a CD. People still remember what CDs are. Yeah, I, I do. Include a CD I have a song. couple still. <laughs> right. And all I wanted was her, for her to get a copy of it. I don't, I don't, I didn't feel like I needed to have a relationship with her, but I wanted her to know just how grateful mm. that I was and that I continue to be. And unfortunately, Rachel, I've not met her because there was no response to that inquiry. And even though they kept the case open for about nine months, there was no response. So either she didn't receive the inquiry, they didn't contact the right person, or she decided not to respond, which I I would understand. Mm. But I wanted her to know how thankful that I am that her son, her biological son is so grateful for the life and the beautiful reverberations that her singular decision will cause for generations. And and through your work with the Radiance Foundation, have you met people who maybe were raped and and because of your story decided to make a dis, a different decision. I mean I just I think rape is an interesting circumstance, right? We hear about all kinds of sto- all kinds of stories and yet rape is the one where even people who are pro life will say, "Well, in that case, yes." Um and uh, you mentioned down syndrome which as you know is very close to my heart. Um, and and what and the extermination of that group, but rape in particular is interesting because people think the violence of rape, the answer to it is the violence of abortion, and and there and there's a lot of work in the pro life community to break down that mentality, even among pro lifers. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I do meet a number of, of women who became pregnant through rape and it, rape is such a horrific act, horrific violation. And we have to keep in mind the rapist is the one who should be punished. And the pro-abortion side never yes. wants to talk about that, really. They go immediately to this, you know, abortion is the cure. It doesn't. It doesn't undo the rape. It it actually introduces more violence. And the abortionist, like the rapist, abandons that woman I mean, the abortion is not some personal physician that's there to care for her and to counsel her through that. And so when we talk about the issue uh, of rape, it's the the victim, the woman needs the the wholeness and healing that isn't that doesn't come by, you know, these pink, you know, banners and all these euphemisms that the pro-abortion side want to throw at her. And I and I pray that my birth mom experience the wholeness and the healing that she needed. But what I found surprising, the, the rape survivors that I have met, those who've become mothers, those who were post-abortive, and those who chose adoption, that there is a common thread through all of them. And that common thread is that the child is the only redemptive part of such mm-hmm. a horrifically violent act. And so we have to remember, Roe v. Wade began as a lie about rape. Norma yes. McCorvey, who's the Jane Roe, she lied about being raped, admitted it later, years and years later in the New York Times op-ed article. She admitted that she had lied, but it started out as a lie. That's in what California. Satan is, though, isn't it? He's the father right. of lies. Right. And, and I just want to say, too, in California, 1967, the Therapeutic Abortion Act that was signed by the pre-pro-life Ronald Reagan started off with those exceptions. That's how abortion on demand started, the exceptions, rape incest life of the mother and so of course you know the physical life of the mother that's an important that's a different category in and of itself but we have to remember that rape is always used it's the tragedy always exploited to promote another tragedy we'll have more of this conversation after this did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion if that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life pro-family views then every life is your solution every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from what they look like or whether they were planned or unplanned every baby is a miracle from god worthy of love protection and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. You always say out of out of tragedy comes triumph. Your, yes. your life is a triumph. I believe so. I, and I, I think of my mom and my dad, Henry and Andrea Bomberger. They loved many of us that the world would so easily write off saying, you know, their narrative isn't going to end well. And they were wrong. My parents loved us and unleashed purpose. And you can't help but see triumph in so many instances in just my family alone. But you multiply that by by the millions whose life story people would say, well, they will amount to nothing. Because of what? Because you said so? No. That's why I love how love defies all that all the time. You know, Ryan, I, I spent uh, nine years in Congress. Um, I was a member, a member of the House from Wisconsin. And 
um, I, I see a, I saw I, I saw and still do see a lot of influence groups that come to Washington to advocate for certain policy positions. And the one group that is exterminated above any other group is, you know, babies in the womb. And they can't raise money. They can't petition. They can't lobby. They can't do any of the things that, you know, traditional groups bind together and petition their government for because they're voiceless. They're defenseless. And they, re- they rely on people um, like you to come out and give them a voice when they don't have one, which why th- why I think it is so powerful. But also in this decision that came from the court, I think it's fascinating, Rachel, and both in you were talking about the lies from the abortion movement. But the lie that ab- abortion has been eradicated with this decision that's come from the court in Dobbs. The fact is that we've actually taken it out of the courts and it's been given back to people in states where people can can argue, can advocate, can uh, can campaign and let voters decide what kind of restrictions they want on abortion or do they want to completely right. eradicate abortion, which in a democracy seems to be the right way that we should be moving forward. And I find it fascinating that the mainstream media and the celebrities from Washington and, and the Democrat politicians all want to say that your abortion rights have been taken away. When in actuality, you've been you've been given the right to 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 debate and vote on this really important issue. Exactly. Well, of course, you can't rely on pro-abortion activists to to speak the truth right, about right. these things. <laughs> Point I well mean, made. it's always gloom and doom. And, and, and even just the phrase abortion rights, I, well, rights that exist where? As, as Alito so powerfully pointed out in, in the Dobbs decision, the Constitution, he says, quote, the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion, row in case you're overruled. There is no right to abortion. So they talk about your rights being taken away. Well, they never existed in the first place. They were created out of whole cloth by seven men who were supremely wrong back in 73. And the fact that this is returned to the states, I mean, the left is always talking about voting rights and how much they matter. But Mm. when you talk about an election having some beautiful ramifications, like a president being able to appoint Supreme Court justices, they don't like the rule of law. They don't like the fact that this is the result of people voting. And so here now it's returned to the states where you know, there are a number of trigger laws that have gone into effect, and even some of them are being stopped. Louisiana, for instance, that has a human life amendment, which then bans abortion. A judge just stopped that. So we're still dealing with a judiciary that's that's out of control on the state level. But the, the fact remains that people's voices get to be heard through their elected representatives. And this is where, you know, this is has gone that to the states and, and even it- the most radically pro-abortion states. Um, pro-lifers don't give up. No one ever would have, I mean, so many people thought Roe would never be overturned. So but true. guess what? It happened. Justice happened. It did. But I'm going to tell you what, and I don't mean to be a pessimist and rain on this beautiful parade that we're having, uh, you know, celebrating um, the overturning of this unconstitutional decision called Roe versus Wade. But even in many conservative states, and Sean and I are very close to politicians around the country who have told us, I don't know, even in my conservative state, if this were put up to a vote, if we would see this, um, uh, if we would see abortion banned, because the the lies that we have talked about, the euphemisms, the cultural influence of the pro-abortion movement, especially on young women, is powerful. And I think that what it is, is now an opportunity for people like you, the Radiance Foundation, and other pro-life groups around the world 
country and activists um, like myself to go and make the case for the dignity of every life. And um, our work is not done. I mean, honestly, there's a lot of work to be done, Ryan. Oh, there's a lot of heart surgery to be done. There's mm. no denying that. And and from a political standpoint, there's apparently some in the GOP need spine replacement surgery. Perhaps Obama right. pays for that. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I'm Good serious. Point. In fact, can I just can I just um, just boast on Sean for a second? Because I remember back in 2016 when you brought you called out the Congressional Black Caucus. I was just gonna, that was the next question to <laughs> yeah. Ryan. I was going to bring that I, up. Oh yeah. yeah, thank you. That was awesome. I'm like, what? It takes a white man to call out the decimation of abortion in the black community, and they want to demonize you because you. You spoke the truth. I, I mean, I wrote an article about you and that and that video. It was so powerful. The Congressional Black Caucus, which is actually partnered with Planned Parenthood, they want to pretend that Black Lives Matter, but they really mean only some Black Lives Matter. So I just kudos to you for for calling that out. And I and I hate the fact that we live in a world where we're constantly delineating between white and black. I do. I, I agree hate that because we're just one human race. But thank God for you to have the courage to actually stand up and call out the Congressional Black Caucus and these pro-abortion black politicians. Ryan, thank, thank you for that. It was I, I decided to do the speech and the the blowback that I got from the CBC was was immediate and immense. Um, that I didn't go about it the right way. I should have talked to them first. But 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 but. The, but the, you the, kind of did talk to them in in the cloakrooms and 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 behind the scenes. And some of the pastors, some of the some can, of them are pastors. Can, can I put that in air quotes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, past the pastors um, of the Congressional Black Caucus. I talked to them about how how can you be a pastor but also be advocating for this horrific procedure that takes the life of a child, a defenseless child, and disproportionately an takes child. the life of black children. And the point I ma- had made in uh, was was the fact that that more um, African Americans were aborted in in New York City, or maybe it was the New York State as a whole. No, no, no. In New York, than, in New York City, then there were live births. Then there were live births. That's, that's, a, that's right. a fact. And, which was which is tragic, um, and and I was trying to bring up the point too that where are these where are the abortion clinics set up? What neighborhoods are they put in? What is the history of this movement uh, with Margaret Sanger? And Eugenics. Eugen- that's right. And so, and again, I agree with you. We, th- we're all human. We shouldn't. We sh- we shouldn't be in, in a in a business of delineating by race and colors. But they do that, and so I use what they do back at them in, mm-hmm. in a speech off the House floor. And but the industry I didn't targets, get the response that I wanted. You did not. But the industry <laughs> but does target, the industry targets the disabled. It targets the poor. Mm-hmm. It used to target Catholics when they first started and and immigrants. I mean, I mean, I mean Ryan, this is their movement. And again, when we talked earlier about the lies, part of it is, you know, erasing this very ugly history that they own. Margaret Sanger is theirs. And Hillary Clinton received the Margaret Sanger Award. Uh, yes. You know, I mean, this is their movement. And, and it's not changed. The, the no. whole eugenics movement has you know different euphemisms today, but it's still tragically alive and well today. In fact, Representative Emanuel Cleaver, who was the one of the former chairs of the Congressional Black Caucus, was once 
profoundly pro-life. He was part of Missouri That's right. Citizens for Life. And then he ends up, you know, switching, of course, because politically, I guess if you're a Democrat and you're black, you have to be, um, you know, pro-abortion. At least that's what he thought. Mm -hmm. And he gets an award from Planned Parenthood. I mean, they wanted to cry all the targeting of the, you know, uh, makers of alcohol and cigarette makers and and that industry, the disproportionate targeting of the black community. But here you have (laughs) the clear disproportionate targeting of the black community that results in death every single time. And it's still a reality in New York City, by the way, in Manhattan, actually the borough of Manhattan where Planned Parenthood is based for every 1,000 black babies born alive, 1,228 are aborted. Wow. I don't want to hear these groups say black lives matter because they don't really matter because if they don't matter in and out of the womb, you know, your, your hashtag is worthless. And so this is why we keep on calling it. The Ratings Foundation keeps calling out um, the disproportionate impact of abortion in the black community, calling out Planned Parenthood that calls itself, by the way, an anti-racist organization. Are you kidding me? What a joke. What a joke. Actually, you know, what's interesting is, and I've gone around the country giving um, pro-life speeches. It's it's one of my favorite things to do. And also to go to places and celebrate these, you know, selfless uh, counselors who work in, and they're volunteers, by the way, for the most part, who work in these crisis centers and help these women and do so much. And, and then they're being threatened right now. But one of the things I talk about in my speeches, Ryan, are, are and, I, and I've done a lot of study on it, are the parallels between the arguments used to justify slavery and the arguments used to justify abortion. And you talked earlier in this podcast um, so eloquently about when someone powerful thinks they can decide who is sufficiently human enough to enjoy life, liberty, and and the pursuit of happiness. We know where it where, where it takes us. And um, the, the arguments are so similar, even, Ryan, to the point where, you know, in, in slavery times, there were people who said, I'm personally against slavery. I would never have a slave myself, but who am I to tell someone else not to? We hear that argument all the time. And also another very ugly parallel, very painful, sad parallel is separating children from their parents for profit. We saw that happening all the time in slavery, right? I mean, it's one of the saddest things you learn. And here again, separating children from their mothers, from their fathers for someone else's profit. Absolutely. I mean, I I don't think there are two issues of injustice any more closely tied than slavery and abortion. I mean, first of all, you had the Dred Scott decision seven to two, just like Roe v. Wade, seven to two, that mm, deemed an entire group of people less than human. And then you have an industry that profited from, like you said, separating children from their families, from their mothers in particular. And today you have an industry that separates children inside mm-hmm. or severs children inside of their mothers and profits in the billions. And yet people don't see this. It, both cases, human beings are being treated like property. They could be bought, sold, traded, or killed. Yeah, we it's see the no organ. Different. We see the organ har- harvesting. Sean was um, on the forefront of that, um, doing hearings and and trying to expose the good work that was done by that organization that um, did the undercover investigation on on human baby parts. The sale of baby yes. body parts. Yes, Center for Medical Progress. David Delighton and Center. David Delighton. That's right. They should be celebrated. Instead, they're <laughs> they left the, the ultimate whistleblowers. Them. <laughs> yeah, the yes. ultimate whistleblowers um, on 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 one of the most disgusting practices. Sean, what was it like to be in that hearing? 
Listen, I, first of all, it, it, it ties me into you know when when Democrats talk about I need people on on committees for hearings that only agree with the premise of the hearing. In that select panel that I served on, you're talking about January six has only was, people who agree with January six. <laughs> yeah, can, right. I gotcha. On the select panel, all the Democrats were in opposition to what we were doing to try to expose the the sale of baby body parts from abortion, and they fought us. Uh, they argued against us, but we forged on. But again, you don't always get agreement on people who are going to serve on panels. And that was that was my takeaway. I looked at you mentioned January sixth, yes, and the the uh, the select panel on baby body parts. And again, you don't always get to pick the people that agree with the issue of uh, the panel. Um, but, but the it party was powerful. Gets to pick. It was powerful. I don't, I don't think well, Americans. Well, the, you know, it was, it's a profit center. The, the amount of money yes. that's made, not just on the abortion itself, but then the sale of the baby body parts, mm-hmm. um, it is a huge revenue driver for a, a number of different companies. And and you know the you know the, the, the University of Wisconsin was part of, um, and other universities across the country were part of buying some of these baby body parts. Um, and this was about exposing this horrific act of the sale of of body parts from aborted. Babies, and I think that was the good work of. And it of wasn't what just we, the sale, Sean. I mean, this this undercover investigation exposed that there were live vivisections, so there were um, brains being harvested yes. out of from babies who were still breathing. I mean, this what this is the most disgusting, inhumane stuff. And you know, I I just think you know I I love that our movement is learning to communicate um, and focus on the mom and and the help. But we also have to pull the curtain back on on the atrocities. Ryan, can I, and I'm, I'm jumping on Rachel here, but sure. y- you mentioned Emmanuel Cleaver, and Emmanuel Cleaver is a friend of mine. I, I love Emmanuel Cleaver. I, he's a, he, in so many ways, is a wonderful human being. But in regard, you, you mentioned in regard to the life issue um, that he used to be pro-life, um, and now to be a Democrat, you have to be pro-abortion, and he flipped his position. Um, I just I think about the power of a few elected leaders, a few people who are willing to stand up and speak out, have the courage to lead a movement. Um, and it could be Emmanuel, it could be other leaders in Congress that could follow your lead to say, you know what, I'm not going to listen. My, my values don't match abortion and I'm still a Democrat. I still believe in all the Democrat issues, but I don't believe in this. And if they had one strong, and I think especially an African-American leader who would stand up and do that, and a pastor, that's right, Rachel, I think you would see so many others follow suit. You'd break the the mold that says that to be a Democrat, you have to be pro-abortion. They would break that wide Mm. open, and I think it would allow a far greater percent of the African-American community to, to, to recognize what's happening to their community with the, with abortion, with where these clinics are located, you know, as Rachel mentioned in, in, in minority and in poor communities, we just need one. I, I get so get frustrated. I get so frustrated <laughs> with the lack of courage that people have to stand up for this issue. And yes, Ryan, you should run. <laughs> Hey, hey, we'll, well, we'll join um, the committee, all right? Yeah, we'll run the committee. I'll make that first donation to your campaign. But I, but I would argue, don't run as a, a, a pro-life Democrat. You could run as a pro-life Republican. That's all. I'm, I'm <laughs> or, throw that at you. or independent. <laughs> right, right. I have to check with my wife first. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We'll have more of this conversation after this. 
Since the 1970s, working-class Americans and U.S. investors who saved wealth in dollars have seen the dollar lose over 80% of its purchasing power. In contrast, investors who diversified their cash into gold saw gold appreciate over 5,000%. For Americans who invested $50,000 in gold when America left the gold standard in the 70s, their gold is worth more than $2.5 million today. While gold carries no guarantees and past performance does not equal future results, investors who do their own research will see that gold's performance over this time span is what gold has consistently done in the face of eroding paper currencies. For over 15 years, St. Joseph Partners has built its business with a singular focus on helping investors diversify their wealth and protect their families in physical gold and silver you hold in your hand. Don't let your hard-earned savings go unhedged. Call St. Joseph Partners or go to our joint website, kitchengold.net, not .com. That is kitchengold.net and protect your wealth. But I will say, I I just want to just throw out there, uh, Senator Katrina Jackson from Louisiana. She is a pro-life Democrat. She is the one behind the Human Love Life Amendment that banned abortion. So there are a there are a tiny handful of, well, she's, she's of state, black right? pro-life she's Democrats. She's a state, state level, not federal. Yeah, state level, yeah. state yeah. level, yes. But you're right. Unfortunately, on the Democrat side, there are so few, um, and it's become even more radicalized to you know even far more pro-abortion than even just a few years ago. But there are some out there, and I, it just breaks my heart to see someone's core principles be so easily shattered. And for what? For some sort of political power, political gain, I don't know how you go from a- acknowledging that every human life is God, you know, is, is created in the image of God and and has purpose that is God given to where oh, it's just a clump of cells and they can be destroyed at will just because Ryan, someone wants to. You're traveling around, you're talking to people all the time, you're making these very powerful media um, appearances, and not just on Fox. I've seen you on MSNBC and CNN before. Are are you seeing the African-American community wake up to what's happening to their community when it comes to abortion, to the eugenics, to the targeting of that community, to these stats that are so staggering that you have more abortions and live births in the, in the, in, in New York city. And even to the fact that, you know, your the political power of the African American community is diminishing due to right. abortion. Yes. And it's so tragic to see this. It's so tragic to see the total manipulation by academia, by a fake news establishment that is constantly, I mean, right now casting that it's racist to not fund more abortions in the black community. How many more abortions need to happen in the black community? But I'm I'm grateful that I've been working with, you know, friends of mine, Dr. Alveda King, Reverend mm. Dean Nelson, Reverend Arnold Colbreth, Catherine Davis. I mean, black pro-life. And I, again, I hate that I have to qualify this, but unfortunately for media, you I have should. to. Yeah. But black pro-lifers um, and some of them Democrats, some of them independent, some of them Republican. But we've been making headway. Good. We've been making headway. It, it, but it's slow. I mean, that's the. That's the problem when you have so many institutions that are against you ideologically, but we are seeing a change. We are seeing on college campuses and HBCUs and in churches. I mean, I've been in conferences where I remember a bishop came up after the conference. This was um, sponsored by CareNet, one of the nation's largest pregnancy care centers, uh, uh, pregnancy, pregnancy care associations. A bishop came up on stage after this two-day conference and said, I... I'm so ashamed that I never knew any of this 
Mm. I will never be the same. And so it's a handful, but I'm all about the remnant because the remnant changes things all the time. So yes, there, there are some positive changes, but it's overwhelming the, the stranglehold that a political party has on the black community and that mainstream media has, and even academia, public schools that, that constantly are, are telling a false narrative about what's truly going on. You know, Ryan, as I mentioned earlier, I've listened to a number of your speeches and interviews, and I think that you're remarkable in how you communicate. It's, it's, it's powerful. Yeah, he's a powerful communicator. And it's, and it's compassionate. Thank you. Um, and I wonder, as you, as you talk about these issues, what kind of response are you getting if you're talking to someone who may not be pro-life? If, you speak, if you're preaching to the choir, I know what you're going to get. But when you're talking to people mm-hmm. who have a different opinion than you do, how are you mad? I mean, because your, your story is powerful outside of your ability to communicate that story. What, what response do you get? Do people get angry at you or do they actually, do they listen? And you mentioned earlier, it's hard to penetrate hardened, hardened hearts. Right. But do you, is it anger? Is it, is it, is Confusion? it, is it, what is it? Right. Well, it's a lot of things. And I just want to say this too, because preaching to the choir is still important because sometimes yeah. the choir does not know the song. That's right. That's that. so true. <laughs> but there, there are so many, I will say my story definitely is very disarming. Even a yes. college campus mm-hmm. where you have this rabid sort of um, mentality when it comes to abortion, because they only get a singular, singular perspective on these these college campuses, even many Christian college campuses. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately it's not a pro-life perspective. I will tell you that there are times like, for instance, I spoke at Harvard and that was, that was crazy. And, you know, I had LGBT activists, I had Planned Parenthood activists, I had Me Too activists. They were all not loving me whatsoever. In fact, it was crazy because it was an auditorium filled with people and these semicircular sort of tables and everyone had a microphone in front of them and they could talk whenever they wanted to while I was speaking. But I will tell you that there were, there were a handful who came up afterward um, who said, we wanted to hate you when you when, when it all first started, but we never heard a story like yours. We never, it's a, you've got us rethinking this. And that was only a group of three kids, three students, but it happens every time that there's one or two, or maybe just a handful who will come up and say, you've you got me thinking in ways I, I've never thought about this issue before. Thank you so much. Or, you know, I remember one time a kid came up and said, wow, you wrecked me out. I, I came in here wanting to just tell you about how wrong you were and you've actually proven how wrong I was. Thank you. So the reaction is different every time. But I will say that there are positive reactions. Of course, I still get the hate. I've been protested. I've been, you know, smoke bombed out of, you know, University of Texas in Austin. Wow. That was fun. But it's it's different. But I will tell you that there is something about a personal story where I take things from the abstract to the tangible that does get a hold of people's hearts. And I just thank God for those opportunities. Yeah, you know, we're, we're going to have to close out with you. I have to tell you, I mean, it's it's your your story's powerful. I want to end with. I mean, you have this powerful story to tell. You have your biological, um, uh, your your um, your adopted family that is just like the vision of pro life. Um, you have your own family and your beautiful children, your gorgeous wife. I've seen pictures of them. And 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 you're obviously, you know, living this pro-life message. But what would you say? Because, I mean, there's a lot that can be done through speeches. There's a lot that can be done culturally. But Sean and I, we named our podcast From the Kitchen Table for a reason because we believe that these values have to first be taught at home. So for those who are listening 
and whether they're grandparents, aunts, uncles, parents, what would you say to them that they could do with the children that are in their lives to create and bring about a pro-life culture? What is it about your own story or, or in general that you would want to convey to go, this is how you should or you can um, teach these children to value life, to understand the dignity of life, um, to speak for the voiceless, to to really say no to this very violent answer um, to to a, a pregnancy. It starts in the home. Yes, I mean, it, it, exactly. I mean, we have to we have to teach our children before a broken world reaches them. And I'm glad you asked the question because I should have said this before. Because my favorite author, who goes by the name of Bethany Bomberger, wrote a book <laughs> called Pro Life Kids. It's it's ProLifeKids.com, and it's if we don't actually start in the home with children and teaching and imparting a pro life worldview, then we have to do all the extra work to try to change the mind of an adult. And we all know that that's not easy. So if we start by yes. teaching a a biblical worldview on how every human life has God-given value. Oh my goodness, it changes everything. Kids, kids are naturally pro-life. And of so course. as a parent, we reinforce that natural inclination, right? Yes. So that's where we start. And, you know, in our book, we actually have 10 ways for you to be pro-life in your community. And we talk about pregnancy help centers. It's a great way for kids to be able to volunteer. It's a great way mm-hmm. for them to understand the work that is being done, the love that is being shown to mamas and to fathers. There's, you know, there's fatherhood mentoring as well in these pregnancy centers. So it's a great way for, for adults to be able to teach young kids, this is what it means to be pro-life. I love how you talked about how pro-life children naturally are. I've, I've, I've been pregnant many times, as you know, Ryan, right. and I've, ne- and, and, you know, kids sometimes want to touch your belly and I've never had one not say, talk to me about my baby in my belly. They instantly know what's inside my belly. No one ever right. said, can I put my hand and touch your car or um, a cat or right. um, a fetus or a clump of cells? A clump of cells. Right. They all know uh. it's a baby. You're you're so right. It's it, 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 Children have such a capacity for understanding truth um, without all the influences around us culturally right now. Ryan, your story is amazing. I, I You are amazing. You are amazing. I'm going to pray in Thanksgiving today um, that your mom chose life um, because I can't imagine our world or our country without you. I know your your beautiful family feels the same way, but so many of us who just know you, you know, um, tangentially feel the same way about who you are um, and 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 the dignity and value of who you are. And we just thank your mom for choosing life, and we thank your amazing adoptive parents, who um, are your real parents who raised you. And um, who, when yeah. you see the photo of you and your family um, and your, all your siblings, um, boy, it just makes us inspired and makes us want to do better. Um, so thank you, Ryan. You're the best. Uh, tell us our our listeners again how they can get to your foundation. The easiest way uh, is to go to radiance.life. I mean, we're on social media, at least for now. We're not censored. But, um, my <laughs> Maybe prayer, after this podcast, you <laughs> will be. <laughs> exactly. But thank you guys. So much. My prayer really is that my life just illuminates that every human life, whether you're planned or unplanned, mm-hmm. able or disabled, every human life has purpose. So thank you for the conversation. I yeah. appreciate you guys so much. Well, I'll tell you, you inspire me, Ryan. Thank you so much for, for joining us. And thanks for being that radiant light for uh, for all of us with such a powerful message. God bless you, Ryan. Thanks for joining us at the kitchen.
kitchen table. What an amazing podcast. What an amazing guest. What an amazing, I mean, I'm just kind of floored, Sean. I love him. He's, he, he's, I an, love him I can, too. he's an amazing communicator with an amazing message. Um, honored that he would join us on the podcast. And again, he's dedicated his life to this, to, to this movement and bringing uh, the truth about his story and about abortion. So glad to hear he's in the universities in Harvard and Berkeley and, and giving that message and giving them an alternative to think about um, the exception. Um, and he's standing right before them. Um, so great podcast. If you love this podcast, um, please do rate, review, subscribe, wherever you do that at. And we'll have you back around the kitchen table next week. Yeah. Have a great week. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.